You're listening to Real Estate Real Fast. Each episode, we discuss all things real estate, whether that's strategies for investors, ways the average homeowner can maximize profits when selling their home, or understanding market trends and more. Real Estate Real Fast is brought to you by ListingSpark, automated software that takes you through the complete home selling process and sells your home faster, safer, and at a fraction of the cost. All right, we are live with episode nine of Real Estate Real Fast. I want to thank everybody for joining us. For those of you joining us for the first time, I'm going to be your host, Aaron Gistel. I'm the broker and one of the co-founders here at ListingSpark. And what we like to talk about on this podcast is all things real estate. We typically have an emphasis on real estate investing. That makes up a big core demographic of our business here at ListingSpark. So we're always trying to bring a lot of valuable content in the form of education and insights into the real estate investing world. And so I'm extremely excited about our guest today. We've got Brandon Smith, who is a, a master of the world of owner financing. So we've been working with Brandon for quite some time now. So I'm really excited to have him on and just kind of talk about the ins and outs of a niche that we hear about all the time. But a lot of people are really a little bit intimidated maybe to jump in and, and, and try to sort it out because it is an alternative type of investing. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Brandon, if you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself and, and about how you got into real estate investing. Yeah, Aaron. Hey, man, thanks for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. So my name is Brandon Smith here out of Houston, Texas. And I guess really our, our real estate journey started in 2009. And that's when the collapse of housing was, was tough and credit and capital, you know, was really tough to get at the time. And that's how, you know, I did not know what a private money lender was or a hard money lender was. But we were actually, I was listening to a radio show here locally in Houston, and I'm sure a lot of people know who, who it is, but they were talking about buying rent houses, living off the cash flow and then retiring, you know, when you're 50 years old or whatever it may be, because you've got all these assets. My father-in-law and mother-in-law, they kind of went through a, a downward spiral with the stock market and they were looking for alternative investments. And I said, hey, I've been listening to this radio show. I said, I think we should talk to some banks and see if we can get a line of credit and maybe maybe buy five or six rent houses and retire. Well, we I actually knew, I was an old golf pro before 2009. And I actually knew one of the one of the bank's main charter presidents, and he actually invited us in. We started a small relationship with the local community bank, and we put a deposit down. We got a line of credit, and lo and behold, we went out and bought five rent houses on the on the Katy area here in Houston, good part of of Houston. And that bank, the banker calls me back and goes, "Hey, Brandon, we really appreciate the relationship. These houses are rented. The first line of credit we got was was about five hundred thousand dollars." And so we burned through that really quick because the pricing was a lot different then, sure. you know, and he calls me and goes, Hey, Brandon, do you want another half million dollar line of credit? I said, okay. You know, and at the time I was working in the oil patch. We were just doing this kind of on the side, on the weekends, you know, talking to contractors, stepping out in the middle of the breaks and whatever it was. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. You know, we got all the way up to about 92 rent houses and then kind of COVID hit, you know? So, and that's really where we, when COVID hit with obviously the moratorium in place with the rent moratorium in place, all the people that paid me were my old owner finance notes. So my company and I, and we're a family owned company. My sister-in-law is on the accounting side. My brother-in-law is the buyer of the company. My in-laws help us really put capital work in the banks and, and across our platform. But, you know, owner financing, whether you do wraps or you do hard deeds like I do, you know, there's there's a couple ways to do it. I just, I'm here to help anybody that has any questions on it. I've done wraps, 
but currently we do we have banking relationships that we take our notes and securitize them against basically awesome okay so obviously owner financing is a little bit more of a complicated niche you just mentioned how most of your deals are done with hard deeds walk us through the mechanics of kind of how that works how owner financing in general works and why specifically you like this vehicle of investing sure absolutely well, a couple of things is, is that, you know, obviously creative financing is, is probably the, the woo topic that you're going to see in your Facebook post, uh, could be a buddy tells you about, and that's going to be, you know, the wrap note. That's where the existing mortgage is in place. And what traditionally happens is somebody is distressed. You say, Hey, I'll take over your payments. The number one thing that you've got to get, if you're going to be doing a wrap note and you're going to be taking over somebody's payments is you've got to have access to their online account so you can change the mailing address and you can change where the insurance wraps are legal in texas title companies do do them i think they're a little bit in the gray area but uh, there are title companies that that will issue title insurance on it with us we're just more of a hard deed true note type of situation so when we go and close there's a lender of record on that file and the rmlo has been already you know already been produced to to the borrower so they have a 64 page packet with the rmlo and then at closing i physically buy the note and that's kind of where we where i go buy the note and we take it to our local community bank and it's housed there and then we're living off the cash flow in between and what i mean what i mean by in between is let's say my bank and this is in this is in the past not necessarily right now but let's say i had a line of credit at five percent and then I'm loaning money out at 10%. Well, I'm making a, a 5% yield there in the middle. And my note with my bank is about 20 years in amortization. And my note with my borrower is 30 years. So at the end of the note, I've got a 10 year gap that I'm going to cash flow when I'm, you know, 20 years from now. That's, that's an unrealized amount of cash flow at the very end. Got it. Got it. One thing we were talking about right before we started the podcast is, you have a really impressive, impressively low default rate on your owner financing deals that you're carrying. And I think that's, that's a testament to how you qualify your buyer. So can you walk us through some of the stuff that you do to make sure you're picking the right buyer? How do you, how do you ensure that you in that low default rate and have, a, have these be safe investments for you? Yeah. So just for starters, I'm a, I'm non-licensed in the NMLS. I have taken the classes. I'm in the process of potentially going and getting getting tested on it so I can get licensed. But currently we use an RMLO that, that's Texas Pride out of Dallas there. They're the ones that are actually doing the borrower underwrite and giving it, giving me the decision as a note buyer, hey, these people will be able to pay the note. You know, it's, it's about matching income assets. A lot of these folks don't have the liabilities that a true traditional borrower has. So if we can connect that the income that they're getting is going into you know a traditional whether it's a bank account or even a tax return where we can verify the income and, and maybe even get an employment letter or whatever it may be then we're able to make sure that our default rate is low the rmlo packet's 64 pages long so there's a lot of in-depth information that that you know i'm able to make a decision if i want to buy the note or not and you know get the house sold to the borrowers yeah what would you say is the number one reason why these buyers can't qualify for like a conventional FHA, VA or whatever? Well, mainly is social. Social is probably the number one. Credit history. They just, they don't, you know, if you come to the States and my number one bar, as far as if you wanted to, you know, like an avatar type person, is somebody that's come here to the States. They have a traditional family. They're working hard. They're paying their taxes. Traditionally, they have, you know, an I-10 type visa 
or we do allow uh, valid passports as well to close. You can close in the state of Texas with just a valid passport. But traditionally, okay. it's going to be an I-10 borrower. Uh, it's going to be my target borrower. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Okay. So for somebody looking to get into owner finance investing, what are what are kind of some of the pitfalls, the roadblocks they need to be looking out for? Well, and it depends on what your there's probably two things. If you're doing a wrap, number one thing is insurance. Because if you're gonna leave that with a if you're gonna take over that mortgage in a wrap situation and that's at a Chase Bank or whatever it may be, they, they have a more than likely they have a due on sell clause. Now I have not seen a due on sell clause necessarily called. I have received letters personally in my past that, you know, we dropped the ball on an insurance premium and that we had to get it caught up and sent in insurance and payment on the due on sell clause if you're doing a wrap. That's that's the number one thing there. As far as doing what I do, the, the hardest part on what I do is is when we take a note, when I'm a note buyer, is having the back end long capital. You have the, the capital that's going to get you out. A lot of my lines of credit are five year. I have one line of credit at 20 year. So that's 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 the hard part of this is is stacking banks behind you to carry your paper when you go and do a deal. Got it. Okay. And so that's where the QM qualifications become really important. So, you know, you you mentioned earlier you want if you wanted to, you want to be able to sell these notes off and and having really kind of sketchy paperwork or having terms that are just kind of out of line is going to make it harder for you to sell the note, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's correct. So Obviously, you know, back in 2009 and 2010, when we, when we started doing owner finance in the markets, you know, you couldn't flip a house or anything. You could rent them or you could owner finance them. You know, we could just we could just do a deed of trust. We close out a lot of local title company. All is good. But all that changed with, you know, obviously Dodd-Frank compliance. And right. so we had a lot of shifting and changing had to, had to. And actually, we went away from owner finance because we were trying to figure out the laws. We were talking to our attorneys and whatever it may be. And, and, you know, what does that put us as a note buyer too? So I think we've got a good handle on, 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 you know, our process. I'm happy to share that, you know, that process with anybody. But the key is that, you know, you got to get them under contract. You got to be able to verify income, verify the down payment, and then get them to the RMLO so they can give you a full underwrite. So you as, you know, the note buyer can say, hey, I, I like this person or, you know, it's not going to be a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. And uh, I want to touch on one other point you were just hitting on the, on the sub two, the, you were talking a little bit about the do on sell clause and the insurance. And I'm assuming the insurance becomes such an important component because for those of you that don't know, you know, when there's an underlying mortgage on a property, the mortgage company is going to make sure there's insurance. And if that lapses or there's an issue there, that raises a red flag that probably pulls that file. Somebody's going to take a look at it and try to figure out what's going on. And if there's anything fishy looking on that file, they're going to start reaching out and saying what's going on. A lot of times they'll put their own insurance policy on top of it just to make sure it's covered. That's going to be exorbitantly expensive. And I'm assuming that's kind of what you're talking about when you mean make sure the insurance is, is lined up correctly. Yeah, that's, that's 100% correct on a sub two transaction. On a on a hard deed, which I do, we have a we have an escrow service out of Dallas, August REI. You know they handle a lot of our escrows, so the payments actually don't go to me. The payments, they the borrowers will send one payment to August REI. August REI's responsibility is to break it up to P and I insurance and taxes, and they send me the basically the net difference. And also they're responsible for making sure the taxes are paid and making sure that the insurances are caught up. And 
insurance is a beast. I mean, even they, you know, from time to time, we got to huddle up and say, hey, we got to get a policy on this on this property. It just lapsed or maybe maybe the, the notice got lost in the mail or it's the holidays. You know, the insurance is a huge component, whether you're doing a hard deed or a wrap to or a sub to. Awesome. Okay, that's great. Quick note for everybody listening in, we are going to do a live Q&A at the end. Jamie, I see your question here. We're definitely going to get to that. So if any of you guys have questions for Brandon, feel free to type them in. And, and uh, here in just a bit, we're going to do a live Q&A and answer all those questions for you. So you just touched on a really key point. I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of helpful tips and tricks and tools that investors should use if they're going to get into the owner financing world. And you just touched on a really important one. So loan servicing is obviously a big deal. It's not a as I understand it, it's not a requirement. You can service your own loans. You can have people send payments to you directly. But anytime that I have a client that is looking to get into owner financing, I typically recommend loan servicing, which seems to be worth every penny you're going to spend on utilizing those services, just to make sure the stuff like taxes, insurance, and tracking those payments and things like that are all in place. So can you share again who you use for loan servicing and just talk a little bit more about the importance of that? Yeah, there's, I think there's three major players here in Texas. You know, I don't know about any other states, unfortunately, but there's Mills out of El Paso. They've got a good product. I have uh, probably 20 notes with them, 20, 25 notes with them. August RI out of Dallas is a little more expensive. But, but, you know, we have, I have good conversations with them. They're fast. You know, it may be a little difficult to get on the, on the phone necessarily, but, you know, as far as compliance and getting me emails and making sure that we're all caught up, they, they do a really good job. I think Moat is out of San Antonio. I don't, I don't know what they do origination or just escrow. I've never used them. So okay. just my experiences have been with Mills and August REI. And, okay. and guys, it's worth every penny now. It's, it's getting more expensive. It, when I started, it was like 20 bucks and now, it was, you know, then it went to 30. And I think, I think we're at 40 now. There's two ways to look at it. You can have the borrower pay for it or split it with the borrower just to make sure your ducks are all in a row as far as compliance goes. Yeah, it probably makes them feel better too, I would, I would guess. It, it legitimizes the process. It makes it feel like, okay, this is, I'm not getting scammed here. There's a reputable company that's taking my payment I'm making every month and they're making sure taxes are getting paid. So it's, it's probably helping you get these deals funded as well because I'm, I'm i'm assuming it adds a layer of legitimacy to your deals yeah it, it does i mean august rii you're able to go on you can do they can do a draft debit they can do an online payment i mean it's it's like a small chase bank you're logging into and it feels like a mortgage you know and that's that's the way we set it up that's the way it's designed for you know and our customers get it and and the other the other key thing about this is that both mills and August RI are bilingual, you know, obviously dealing in the space. I don't speak Spanish, unfortunately, which I did tremendously, but you know, that's a key component on, on, on the whole process and, and the product we put out. Sure. Sure. Let's talk a little bit, Brandon, if, how you source your deals. So you mentioned you've got your brother-in-law, I believe that helps on the acquisition side. Do you have a buy box that you're looking for? Do you try to keep it in a certain price range? What's your acquisition strategy? Yeah, we're seller direct. We've always been, you know, belly button to belly. You know, I used to be for many years. I was a part of a big yellow. You know, I, I know they've been around. I have ups and downs. We we left Home Investors probably seven years ago, a long time ago. But basically, you know, we do seller direct marketing. We're on TV here in Houston as well. So the inbound side, we're heavy on direct mail. Obviously, our networking since we've been around here for so long. 
you know, people know that we have cash to close and can traditionally close pretty quick. So I think Pat yesterday, in the last three days, we've had two contracts come in, just we weren't expecting, but they needed to close quick. And, and when you're, you know, how I got into this is because I got within the banks, you know, if you can set up a banking line of credit, either at a local community bank or even a hard money lender, that will be the number one first step you've got to do in order to take down a property. Got it. Yeah, because they want to close quick, I'm assuming. And they want to yeah, everybody's two, everybody's two weeks right now. I'm I'm still at 75% in Houston as far as LTV goes, if I'm in a good qualified subdivision. If I'm in, you know, if I'm in the Katy, Sugarland, Woodland, Spring, if I'm in those areas, three twos on bricks, I'm still at 75. I know some people have gone down to 70. If I'm in a different part of town, not so, you know, not so put together or, or maybe it's a little speculative, you know, maybe I'm at 70% there. Got it. Got it. Perfect. Well, you know, we started doing this real estate real fast podcast right at the beginning of when the market started correcting this go around. I've talked about it on a couple of different podcasts that, you know, I, I got into real estate kind of 05, 06 and was working up up through the last correction in 08 and 09. That's when you kind of got started in this. So you were on the heels of, of the big crash we had in 08. How are you adjusting to the new market? What are some things you're doing to shift gears and, and keep your business thriving? Yeah, I mean, the, one of the beauties of owner finance is that is that, that type of borrower or that, that type of client really doesn't go away. You know, they're, they're affected a little bit by, you know, whether it be politics, inflation, whatever it may be, but that type of demographic in my borrower, even through COVID and even through the downward spiral that we're kind of, we're kind of in now, my buyer, my borrower is always there. You know, it's just a matter of matching up the borrower with the right house, the right price and the right payment, you know, and then do they have the down payment? So that's the beauty of owner finance. Now, the, the kind of downslide here is that we are seeing some slowdown in obviously conventional FH. You know, six months ago when we do a listing, I would only do a listing in owner finance. But now I'm having to, you know, bring back in conventional buyers, bring back in FHA. So we are allowing other financing in place. You know, we used to not allow that, but now we are just to get the houses moved. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And I guess the nice thing about owner financing, when you're holding the paper, you know, that in and of itself is the investment that you're looking for, right? Is the long-term portfolio of notes that you're holding on to. And so when you're doing that, you're making money on the spread, which means you can kind of withstand a little bit of short-term turbulence in the market. So even if that house's value dips down a little bit, you know, none of us have a crystal ball, but it's pretty safe to assume that, you know, at some point it's going to hit the bottom and come back up again and, and move on past where it, where it was before. So it, it gives you a little bit more security knowing that, in the long run, your real investment here is is the paper that you're holding and the interest that you're making on that. So you don't have to get too far in the weeds about the market going up and down and, and things like that. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the hardest thing for me right now is is rates. Obviously, I had I had a couple of my lines of credit come back up for renewal when when rates have been hiked here. So that monthly payment and we talked about affordability. You know, especially with you being there in Austin. Uh, affordability is getting tough. You know, if I'm, if I, if my bank is loaning me money at seven, which is a, you know, a decent commercial rate right now, I'm having to loan it back out between 11, 11, 11 and a half or so, you know, back in the day yeah. I was getting money from my bank at four, four and a half, and I was reloading at nine, nine and a quarter, nine and a half. You know, that monthly, that monthly payment on that spread is, is very significant on the borrower, you know? Yeah. 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 That's, that's a hardest, good point. 
that's the hardest thing I'm having to do with right now is because if you've got to have the back end banks in order to carry the paper and you, and not all banks are going to like a consumer product, but there are a few community banks out there that, that you, once you kind of train them, once you, once you have a history, you know, we've been doing this since 09 and we've got, I think we've got like 47, 48 notes right now and about eight millions worth of paper. And, you know, once you have a history, you're able to sit down with the banker and really explain to him, Hey, this is how we did it. This is our track record. You know, do you have an interest in potentially building a relationship with us? Sure. Sure. Well, that's all great information. I, any time I'm talking to a real estate expert such as yourself, I, I always like to talk about what we might see here in the next 12 to 24 months. What are you predicting? Do, do you think we'll get any relief here within the next couple quarters or what do you think? Oh man, it's a, it's a crystal ball out there. Obviously rates have gone down a little bit, which has helped. I think if we can get rates, you know, sub six, you know, back in the fives, Consumer confidence is slowly, in my opinion, still starting to come back a little bit. The bond market is starting to, to tank a little bit as well. So that's that's pushing rates down a little bit. I mean, who knows at this point? I do think the Fed is going to have to U-turn. And, you know, we'll, I think our next meeting is in January. So they would have had a long time since their last Fed meeting into here. And we'll see what happens, I guess. So Yeah, yeah. I think one of the major differences that we're seeing now than we we saw back in 08, we had a ton of inventory on the market in, in 08 already. We were, we were talking about this a little bit before we started, but like, for example, when I was selling houses in, in 2006, 2007, 120 days, 150 days on market was normal. I mean, that's just what you expected when you wanted to go sell your house. It was going to take you three, four, five, six months. And that was a balanced market and that was normal. And people were completely fine paying six and a half percent interest. Now, the difference back then was homes were more affordable. They were, you know, a third of what they are now. So that's kind of the big factor that we're in right now. I, I think what people are doing right now is they're keeping inventory down because right now, if you're sitting on a three to four percent interest rate and you don't have to move, you're not moving and you got equity. And unless you're in an emergency, you know, could be a emergency life event, could be a divorce, could be a job relocation. Those are really the majority of the houses that we're seeing hit the market. Or you've got Open Door who's trying to purge all their inventory they've got and and losing a ton of money in the process. So the 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 inventory that's on the market right now, I feel like is is only the the houses that really have to be there. And I think that is helping keep values from just completely bottoming out, which is what we saw you know, back then, because there was so much inventory, people had to get out of their houses. There was no equity. Nobody had any money because, you know, a lot of times when they bought the house, they paid 103% for it because they rolled all of their closing costs into their loan. And so when, when you're not making any money, what do you care what you sell your house for? You know, you're, they're doing short sales like crazy. Now, I think everybody is really more cognizant of what their interest rate is waiting to get some more confidence in the market so they can feel good about their next purchase. So I think that's keeping inventory a little bit lower than what it was back then. And um, I'm really hoping the Fed in their meeting in January sees that they've done their job in, in curbing inflation and, and everybody is feeling the pain, especially in the real estate industry, and they'll start to ease up and we'll see rates fall. And I think once that starts to happen, I think we've got a lot of pent up demand that we'll start to see coming back into the marketplace, whether that's buyers looking to buy, sellers looking to sell. So I'm, I'm hoping we get some signs of life early next year, you know, 
none of us know exactly what's going to happen, but I've, I've talked to quite a bit of smart people and that seems to be the sentiment of at least what's possible. So hoping for good news, kind of turn first of the year. I will say this to a lot of our sellers that are selling right now, it's slowed down a lot. Seasonally, we slow down this time of the year as well, but people need to really be taking a look at the microeconomics of their market and, and understanding what else is on the market because buyers are still out there. Buyers are still relocating to Houston and Dallas and Austin in San Antonio, everybody's still got to have a place to live. So houses are still selling, stuff is still moving. It's just happening differently than it was a year ago. Um, well, awesome. Well, I think this is a great time. Brandon, let's jump into a couple questions. So Jamie, I really appreciate your patience. Hopefully you're still there. Jamie asked, can you share the banks that you use that will back up the notes? Thanks in advance. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a million dollar question. That's that's a loaded weapon. How about this? I'll share my capital broker with you with you, Aaron. Could I could I do that on the side? Is that possible? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So anybody can reach out and we can so get just, it. Yeah. So just so you guys know, a capital broker is somebody that goes out and helps establish lines of credit for a small fee. Okay. I really enjoy using a capital broker. I I, I used to go, you know, knocking on bank stores left and right. I've knocked on almost every door here in Houston. I feel like it that way, even though I probably haven't on small community banks and that's how we raised our first capital for many many years um and and then i got into another space of using a capital broker that can come in and specifically sit down a line of credit that i need for my owner finance notes and there is a fee for, there is a, a fee on that but it's worth every penny so i'll share that name with aaron here once we can jump off the pass off the podcast and he can probably put that out for publishing well and i, I I think your answer sheds a lot of light on it and doesn't necessarily have to be the specific bank, but I think you gave a good answer on the type of bank that you're looking for. So it's not necessarily your Chase or your Wells Fargo of the world. You know, there's a lot of small local community banks that make a lot of their money doing different types of alternative lending. And I, I think you mentioned it at the very beginning that you started out with a $500,000 line of credit. You did right by the bank. You deployed that capital in a way that you were seeing a return for yourself, you were making your payments, you became a very trustworthy borrower. And then once that happens, you know, banks are in the business of lending money. They want to do that to the people that are going to pay back the loans. So I, I think the strategy that I've seen that's worked from other friends of mine that are in the investing world is, you know, you don't always have to start with this, you know, five, $10 million line of credit, start out with enough to get one or two deals and show that you're a competent operator in this space and pay those loans back. And then typically once those banks feel like you're a safe borrower, they're going to be knocking on your door. Like you said, that banker called you up and said, Hey, can we give you another 500 K that's like the dream scenario? I would, I would assume, but that stuff happens. You know, the, it's their job to take that money and deploy it and then earn interest on that money. And so they're looking for people to lend to that are going to be safe and pay that money back. So I, I think it is, there's no easy answer. Make connections, network in real estate. Your, your net worth is your network. We've heard that saying a lot, but it's absolutely true. So just start pounding the pavement, knock on doors, build connections. And let me ask you this, Brent, have you ever gone out and have you, or do you know of anybody else that's found a good source of lending through either networking groups or anything else to where it's maybe private capital from an individual that's looking to loan money out of their own. Maybe it's an IRA, maybe it's, it's some other investment vehicle that they're looking to lend on. 
Yeah, the the IRA money is there and it does work. I have a lot of stuff. I have a lot of private investors and we still take on private, mainly on the front side of projects to rehab them. But also, you know, and that's we use a lot of people through Quest IRA, which is obviously here in Houston, one of the largest largest IRA firms out there. They do a fantastic job. But going back to your original question about banks and maybe capital, when you go and knock on these banks, you're going to have to have either a strong W-2 or a strong capital commitment behind you. I mean, if you walk in and you got $5 to your name and you don't have a job, I mean, nobody's going to listen to you, okay? Right. But if you have somebody, let's say you partner with the guy that maybe he has $200,000 in his IRA and you guys partner up, maybe he deploys that into the bank and then you, you run the rehab, you run the flip, and then you take take the note on the backside and build a relationship that way. So we use private capital not only just to to buy the houses and flip them, but we also use private capital to, to put them in depositories in the banks. So Yeah, yeah. And for those of you guys that aren't aware, so Quest IRA really specializes in self-directed IRAs that you can do other creative things that you might not be able to do in a more traditional IRA or a 401k or things like that. And one of the one of the things they specialize in is is utilizing real estate as a way to invest out of your IRA. And so never a bad idea to build relationships over at Quest. And there's a lot of people over there with a good amount of cash sitting in a an account that's looking to find somebody to lend it to. And so that's a great way for you to find private investments as well. We have a lot of we have a lot of clients that use their own IRAs. They lend out of them. They do a combination of both. They partner. And so finding good networks is a great way for anybody to start building relationships and find capital. Brandon, I think you probably agree with me that you find a good enough deal, you're always going to be able to find the money if you're looking hard enough. That's that's typically the way it works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially on the front side. If you're going to do owner finance, I mean, the back side, whether you use a capital broker or have a banking relationship, that's that's the harder money to, to find long term. You know, all the front end stuff, go ahead and take it down. Always buy. I mean, when I was in 2009, when the market was on the downward slope, you know, I could have bought all of North Katy and I didn't do it because I didn't have enough money. You know, and I'm kicking myself in the pants, sure. you know, so sure. I don't want to miss an opportunity in today's market and be two years down the road and say, hey, look, you know, 2022, I missed out. You know, we're not going to do the same thing again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did you did you go through any educational classes or anything to start learning the ropes when it came to owner financing or how did you really um, feel confident about it? Yeah, no, obviously Mitch Stevens out of San Antonio. If you if you yeah. know anything about Texas-based owner finance, he's got a ton of books. He's active on, on Facebook. But more importantly, you just got to be able to, to, to do the deal, understand the structure, work with your title company that, that will do an owner finance transaction. And, you know, there's other sources of material out there. I'm available. There's other people that have a strong track record. But like I said, Mitch Stevens out of, out of, out of San Antonio had a ton of stuff out there. That's kind of where I got my nuts and bolts at, you know, starting out in owner finance. Yeah, Mitch is awesome. I was actually on his podcast a, a few years ago. And so I, I felt very fortunate. That was, that was, gosh, that was probably four or five years ago. So he had, he had worked with us at Listing Spark a little bit and he had some clients using us. So I, I had the benefit of going on to his podcast as well. He's a, he's a sharp cat, man. He's, I, I think, I think his books, something like How I Bought a Thousand Doors or something, something like that. He's got a great book that talks a lot about it. That's his niche. And so, yeah, definitely look up Mitch Stevens if you haven't heard about him. He's a great resource, very interesting character and, and 
knows the investment world inside and out. So I need to also speak uh, Eddie Speed as well. Eddie and I, we've done some masterminding in the past. So that's another name I would probably throw out there as a book reference. You know, Eddie's more on the creative side. Uh, I know he's, he, you know, he likes the raps and, you know, I think Mitch is a little more, Mitch can do raps, but he also can take down the note because he's got capital. Uh, it's just, a, depends on if you, if you got the capital or not to hold it long term. Sure. Sure. Well, we'll give another minute or so if anybody else wants to uh, chime in with any other questions. This was awesome. For those of you who maybe started late into the podcast, we do publish these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so you can always tune in later. We appreciate everybody who's joining us. Brandon, I, I wanted to give you the opportunity for anybody that maybe wants to get a hold of you and talk shop about deals or anything else. What's the best way for people to find you or, or check out your website? Yeah, you, you can find us at ownerfinancinghouston.com or you can also, our, our front end home buying company is Priority House Buyer. You can, either of those websites, you can put in your information and be able to get a hold of me one way or the other. So that's probably the best way to get in contact and we can schedule a courtesy call or whatever it may be. My office is on the north side of, of Houston, so but I live out in Katy, so a little bit of a hike, but, but we'll see if we can help out anyway. Awesome. Awesome. And if you guys didn't catch that, feel free to reach out to us. You can go to listingspark.com. You can you can chat in, you can send us an email and, and we'll get you guys connected with Brandon. So yeah, if you got any deals, I, I the one thing, a lot of our network and a lot of our listeners do wholesale real estate as well. And so if you've got deals that look like they could be a good fit for somebody wanting to do owner financing, I'm sure Brandon would love to get in contact with you guys as well. So absolutely. I mean, we we're always looking for houses. We love networking. If you're a wholesaler, let us know, you know, we've been around a long time. We can close in about two weeks typically. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. We got a, we got a question. Isabel asked, can you share the link to the podcast, please? Yes. So that's great. So anybody that actually registered to listen into the podcast, if you haven't registered, you should be able to just click the link wherever you're watching and it'll actually send you guys out a copy of the final podcast to watch as well. And then just find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram. We've got some videos out on TikTok, or you can just go to our website at listingspark.com and under the resources tab, we have our blog. So one of the nice things about some of the software we use is we transcribe all of our podcasts into a blog post as well. And we share the link on there. So check us out on the website. It takes us a day or so to get everything uploaded, but you can find it there. And then if you just look in the chat, we got a link to Spotify as well. So if you missed anything, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to share it with you later. Well, cool. Well, if anybody, if there's no other questions for Brandon, Brandon, I really appreciate your time. This was awesome. I know owner financing is for a lot of people, it can be a little bit scary. It's a, it's a little bit unorthodox. Obviously it's a longer term play, which I think in, in real estate investing can be a little bit scary, but I think you're a proof point that it is a great way to build long-term wealth. It's a great way to set up a nest egg. And there's, there's multiple exit strategies. Obviously, if you do it the right way, you don't have to hold on to the note forever. You can sell the note. There's different ways to get in and out. So thanks, Brandon, for joining us. I really appreciate your time. And everybody, thank you again. This was episode nine of Real Estate Real Fast. We typically come back Wednesdays at one o'clock. We've got some great guests lined up in the future. So hopefully you'll stay tuned and we'll be keeping you posted of new episodes to come. Thanks again, Brandon. All right. Thanks, thanks, Aaron, so much. And listen, Spark, for all you guys do. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Real Estate Real Fast. If you're a homeowner or real estate investor, you should go check us out at listingspark.com. 
You can find tips for improving and selling your house, comparing properties, listing your home on the MLS, and even sign up for the live show of Real Estate Real Fast. We typically go live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central. Go check us out at listingspark.com.